someone grow up, especially decide to uh, take the decision upon themselves to dedicate themselves to the kingdom, to working uh, with the Lord's people, uh, and to dedicate themselves that way. So we, we're proud of you. We're always praying for you, and we're excited to have you with us tonight. I reached out to him a few weeks ago when we knew Kyle would be on vacation and Jay would be with the youth on the retreat, and uh, he moved some things around to where he could be here uh, for this tonight. So we thank you for that, brother. Uh, we're going to be continuing our study in the book of Psalms. For the last number of weeks, we've spent a long time in the Psalms uh, looking at a different psalm each night, whether it be uh, a sermon format or the roundtable format. Uh, and so tonight, we're continuing that study in the book of Psalms. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 6. If you go ahead and turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter 6. This is a psalm of David, as many of them are. And this one is going to be very powerful, I believe, uh, as we try to continue to study these psalms and understand the relationship that we have with our God and who our God is. Psalm chapter 6, we're going to begin by reading the first seven verses and then open it up for some discussion. Verse 1. O Lord... Do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul is also greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of my enemies. And so you read this passage and we're again reminded of the difference in the vocabulary of the psalmist compared to all of the other uh, books of the Bible, in my opinion, this, this book of Psalms has more vivid imagery than perhaps any other text throughout the Bible. And it speaks to us in a way because sometimes it's able to word things that we feel, that we've never been able to word ourselves. But we look to the Psalms and we see these powerful words given to us. And we relate to them. First question I want to ask you guys for us to discuss is, when you see verse 1 and verse 2 and, and really the, the whole passage, how does David's understanding of the wrath of God shape his relationship with God? Well... You know, understanding his wrath and really just understanding his nature in general strengthens his relationship with him. If you think about any relationship at all, the deeper you get to know somebody or, or the more you get to know about them, the stronger you have, the stronger that relationship is between you. And that's how David was with God. He didn't just know his name. He didn't just know of God, but he knew him. He knew his nature he knew his characteristics and one of those things was his wrath and just knowing that strengthened his relationship with him if you have a spouse you understand this that before you get to know somebody on that level maybe you don't com completely understand everything about them but you start to understand some of their insecurities you start to understand the things that make them the most happy and that's the same thing that David is really getting to know God to the point where he doesn't just know who he is, but he knows uh, his entire nature, and he part of that is knowing his wrath. And so through that, he's having this strengthened relationship with him where he can speak to him in, in a personal level in some of these psalms, and you see that all throughout all of the psalms. is just he's able to speak to him personally because he knows him on a deeper level than a lot of the other people in the Bible or even in the world today. I, I think uh, fear of God is very important for us to uh, have the right relationship with God. 
because fear of God is sort of different from fear of the things in this world. Fear of God is basically, it is a fear uh, about um, disappointing God. I don't want to disappoint my parents. I didn't want to disappoint my parents, so I, uh, I wanted to do right to my parents. And I, and I think it is a kind of fear of God. I mean, fear of God is the same kind of way that, because I don't want to uh, disappoint God. I don't want to get punished by God. I will do uh, whatever I have to do to please him, to have the right relationship with him. So fear of God is not necessarily, not only uh, alienates the person uh, with, with God in a relationship, but also it leads the person to do what God wants us to do, wants him to do. So fear of God is the, I mean, I feel, I, I think the fear of God is the uh, kind of um, um, motivator. <laughs> exactly. Motivator of the person to do right in God's will. Yeah, I mean, when I see this text and look at the, the words that David uses, uh, my translation says, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. David understands just how righteously ang angry mm -hmm. God is in this situation. I believe probably your translation says the word wrath there. Do not chasten me in your wrath. David understood the wrath of God. And when we see this text, you know, I, as I'm trying to figure out why God's wrath is being displayed here, to me it, it has something to do with what something David has done. Something David has done in this passage. Do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. And so since David is, is, is begging for, in verse 2, God's mercy, it's not just simply because of the things around him. Perhaps later in the text it's, it talks about it grows old because of his enemies in verse 7. But to me, at the beginning of this psalm, David has, he realizes he has done something terribly wrong in the sight of God. When you see this word rebuke, that, that's correction. David is begging for God's correction and his chastisement not to consume him. So obviously and evidently, David has done something wrong in the sight of God. We don't really know the context of Psalm 6. We don't know if this is after Bathsheba. We don't know uh, if this is after he carried the ark the wrong way or whatever story you want to come up with in the, in the account of David throughout the Old Testament. We don't know the context, but we do understand when we look at this psalm tonight that David has done something wrong in the sight of God. And since he's done something wrong to me, I, I see him understanding he knows what he deserves. He knows that he deserves this wrath. He knows exactly what he has done, and so does God. Because that's the thing about God. God is the eyewitness to every deed, every act, every thought, every word that we've ever said. And so he knows that God knows what he's done. God knows what everything he has done was wrong, and so he's begging for God not to give him what he deserves. Just like any of us growing up, Mingu, you were talking about you not wanting to disappoint your parents. Same with me. Uh, same with most of us, any of us that had godly parents. We don't want to disappoint them because of what they've done for us. And sure enough, when we disappoint them, if you're like me, you do beg for your life, right? You, you beg. Daddy, please, no, you know, you, you beg for that mercy that maybe you don't deserve, but you wish for, right? Sometimes that mercy pours out, right? Sometimes something else pours out, right? The swings. But anyway, you need it sometimes. But that's what we see here. David is, is if you can imagine it, he's just like 
a child talking to his father, begging for this mercy that he does not deserve. And I I don't think David's trying to minimize anything that he's done. I I don't think David is is trying to minimize uh, the the sin that he has or, or what he has done against God or his shortcomings. He's simply begging for mercy anyway. And so... It's, it's amazing to me to understand what you're talking about, this fear that David has for God, this reverence. That's the word that comes to my mind when we see this fear uh, idea in the Scriptures. David reveres God and understands his wrath is just, it is righteous, and it's what he deserves. Any more thoughts on that thought before we move on? Uh, you know, for your information... Uh, Psalm 38 starts with exactly the same verse, with verse 1. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. And, and I found this psalm, Psalm 38, is very similar in structure or in thought with Psalm 6. And in Psalm 38, he elaborates what he did wrong, and he confesses his sin. For example, Verse 3, there is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. He uh, obviously confesses his sin. And verse 4 says, for my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. And verse 5, my wounds sink and faster because of my foolishness. So, uh, in this Psalm, Psalm 38, he is confessing his sin. And, and, and we can uh, look at the you know, more concrete idea that uh, David had uh, in Psalm 6. I mean, if we, find, if we think that this Psalm is a little bit parallel with Psalm 6. And finally, uh, from verse 17, he said, uh, 17 and 18, he says, For I am ready to fall and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sins. For my sins. So, uh, I think the idea is in Psalm 6 too. Uh, he is confessing his sin, and uh, he is, as he said, you know, I'm ready to fall. If, if you punish me, I, am de- I deserve it. So, you know, it's up to you, God. But please, Forgive me, please help me, please deliver me. So as Brother Ben pointed out, I think exactly, uh, you know, David is uh, pleading God for forgiveness because of his, I mean, for his sins that he committed uh, on the basis of God's love. You know, when, when it comes to the creator and the created, and that is our relationship with God and and. and, and and humanity, right? Reverence is not something that we get a choice on. Whether we revere God or respect God or fear God is not our choice. It, we, we owe God that. And I think that's something that David understands in this passage is revering God, fearing God, and His wrath is something that he has earned. Is something he inherently deserves because of who he is. And so, an, an, another question that we can ask tonight with this text, the first seven verses, is there seem to be two characteristics, two attributes of God that are battling with one another in this text. Mm-hmm. And that is the mercy of God and the wrath of God. How do those two things correlate with one another? in this passage, as well as the rest of the Bible as we try to understand God? Well, we see it very directly in this passage, and it's something that's so hard for us to comprehend as humans because we think of these two opposite things. We think of justice, we think of mercy, and we we think of them as opposites and think, well, how can a, a God be somebody who is so merciful but also be somebody who is just and will carry out that justice in the world. But to him, being 100% just, but also being 100% merciful, it's something that's just part of his nature. And we see it all throughout Scripture. 
but especially in this passage here, I mean, uh, you're looking at David recognizing God's wrath, but at the same time asking for his mercy on him. And we see that in other situations. We think about Abraham negotiating with God as far as it concerns with Sodom and, and the righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah. And he knows that his wrath is about to be poured out on Sodom and Gomorrah, but asks for his mercy as well and says, if there's 50 righteous and goes down to 45, 40 until he gets down to just 10 people and says, if there's this many, will you save them? And he says, of course, I'll save them. And he's executing his wrath while at the same time showing that mercy to others. And we think about Moses interceding for the Israelites when uh, he's receiving the Ten Commandments from God and God is knowing that they are at that moment uh, making this golden calf and worshiping that calf instead of worshiping God. And and God at that time wants to execute his wrath on them. And Moses kind of intercedes for the people and he says, well, what are the Egyptians going to think if you save the people only to kill them in the wilderness? And in that situation, you're seeing God's wrath, but you're also seeing his mercy. Um, Numbers chapter 11 is another great example of this where the people are complaining against God. And so God, out of his wrath, starts to burn part of the camp and they continue to complain that they're hungry, that they're tired of eating this manna. And so God's wrath is, is poured out on them, but at the same time, he has mercy on them and he starts to send quail down on the earth to the point where they have way more than they could ever need and way more than they could ever want. And so he's, he's showing that wrath and that anger to the people, but at the same time, he's showing his, his perfect mercy as well. And it's something that we see not just in, in the Psalms, but we see all throughout the scripture, and it's tough for us to grasp as humans, but God in his nature is perfectly just while also being perfectly merciful. You know, as, as Isaac said, this relationship that God has with his wrath and his mercy, I mean, it's fundamental to who God is. It's, it's essential in our understanding of God. Um, and just like in other times throughout this study of Psalms, you know, there, there, there are some aspects of God that are very difficult for us to describe. They're very difficult for us to understand or to express uh, or to define. But yet the Psalms continue to do that. Uh, They continue to be able to put words uh, to our thoughts. They continue to be able to uh, express these hard things that, that are hard to understand because God is so infinite and we are so finite, right? The other day, I, our study was on the omniscience of God, the omnipotence of God, the omnipresence of God, and throughout the text, it just explained it very, very thoroughly, very carefully, very understandably. Here again, we have this very difficult discussion of wrath versus mercy, and here we yet again see David and the Psalms explain it in a way that's so easy for us to understand. And like I said, the relationship between these two characteristics define our God. These two characteristics of God are are so important for us to understand because, listen, God God is the creator. He is the maker. He is the designer of everything. And so when he looks down and and he sees things not going to his design, not going towards his plan the way he planned it, does he not have every right to be upset about that? He is the maker. He is the designer. He is the one who drew out the blueprint. For instance, any of you building a house, you have this blueprint, and it's not being made to what it said it was supposed to be made. You have every right to be upset. Because that's your house. It's the same with God. God is the one who made the blueprint And he looks down and sees people doing it however they want to do it. And so he has every right to be upset. And that's where we get his wrath. On top of that, God is holy and blameless. You know, when we, you know, get mad at a contractor or whatever the case might be, at the end of the day, we've got to realize we're imperfect too. But not the case with God. God is perfect. He is holy. He is blameless. 
And so when he sees these blueprints, these plans, these designs that he is, he is given, not going to plan, he has even more of a right to be upset, to have his wrath, because he cannot allow this creation to choose wickedness over him, to choose evil over him. He cannot bear to witness that impurity. And that's where we get his wrath. But, so that's one half of the scale. Alright? Here's the other half of the scale. He's also a God of mercy. God is also this God who is not a, I gotcha. God, God is not a, I gotcha God. He is not constantly looking above, looking down on us, hoping that we fail, just waiting for the moment that we fail so that He can just drop us into hell fire. Jonathan Edwards in his sermon, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. We had to do a, a report on that in school growing up. We have school in Alabama, no matter what Kyle says. Okay? We had to do a, a, a paper on this sermon, and it was, as a child, I was just, the imagery that Jonathan Edwards back in the 1600s or wherever he was, the imagery he uses is so powerful to think of God just holding us over heaven on a string and if we dare mess up, he's going to drop us into hell. That was the understanding back then and sadly, that's the understanding that a lot of us have today. That God is just dangling us over hell hoping that we mess up to where he don't have to hold on to us anymore. That's not the true image of God. God is not just a God that is hoping that we fail. In fact, it's the opposite. He's not looking and waiting to smite us at the very first failure. Because His love and His mercy are constantly battling His wrath and His justice. Providing this perf perfect equilibrium between the two characteristics of God. His mercy is really what stops him from consuming this whole earth with fire. His mercy is what made him look at Noah. And the text says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's the God that we serve. He is ready to destroy mankind. Genesis 6, he's talking all about how he wishes he hadn't have made man. He's ready to destroy mankind in the whole thing because of how wicked the world is. But what does he do? But Noah found grace. Noah found mercy in the sight of the Lord. That's this relationship of mercy and wrath. Okay, um... <clears throat> Wrath, uh, God's wrath, uh, gives us the, I mean, um, directs us into a relationship, right relationship with God. But, you know, uh, think about this. Uh, is that the most powerful motivation for us to, uh, I mean, I fit mean, to God's will? I think it is not. The most powerful motivation is God's mercy. Because we know God is merciful. God you know, forgives us. Even though we know uh, we have to fear God, uh, you know, if we fear God, it would be something like you know, awkward or you know, some um, not, not uh, great uh, thing. Think about, uh, I mean, imagine a child. If the child is always fear his parent, his dad or his mother, and he, his whole motivation is fear, then would you like that? No. It's pitiful. It's, it's not good. If my child, if my children do to me like that, then I would tell them that, no, 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 don't worry about that. I will not chase you for no reason. But, you know, I was more focused on and tell them that, you know, I have mercy. I, I love you because I love you. I can forgive you. Even if you do something wrong, you, you will have second chance. You will have another chance to, you know, get better. Just like that. 
So God is God of mer- uh, wrath, and also God is God of mercy. But uh, of the two aspects of God, the latter, the mercy of God, gives us the more, you know, power for us to, uh, you know, align us, our life, with God's will. Because we believe, we know we are not complete. We, we are not perfect. We make mistakes. We sin even. You know, we sometimes have to confess our sins. And we have to, uh, you know, plead God for forgiveness because we sin. But if God just is God of, you know, wrath and punishment, how can we do that? How would we do that? How would we, uh, you know, rely on him? But because we know, we have the knowledge, knowledge of the truth that God is the God of mercy, we take heart and come to him and ask for forgiveness. And we believe that he is faithful. As we repent, as we, you know, confess our sins and depend ourselves to him, then he embraces us and he gives us second chance. So here, uh, I found a very interesting thing here as we, I prepared this lesson. Uh, Brother Ben asked this question, you know, what is the kind of uh, battling between wrath and mercy? Between mercy and wrath and mercy, we know God has two characteristics, two aspects. But between that, there is one very important thing for us to get God's mercy. That is repentance. If we repent of our sins, even if we have sinned, if we repent of our sins, then we, we can always remember our God as God of mercy instead of God of wrath. So repentance connects, I mean, moves us from the rest side to mercy side. So why don't we take advantage of that? Why, why wouldn't we take advantage of that bridge that can move us from rest to mercy? I think David is exactly, uh, I mean, David is pleading God exactly the thing. I'm repenting. Forgive my sins. Give me the second chance. I will do better later. So there's a very interesting thing. You know, when we look at this text, look at it with me, verse 2. He's talking about his bones being troubled, uh, about how he is weak, how he needs to be healed. Verse 4, deliver me. Uh, Verse 6, I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eyes waste away. Uh, again, this vivid imagery of what David is going through. And my question to us tonight is, what is making David feel such pain? Uh, what in the text can we see is making David so uh, mournful at this time? Well, I, I think there could be multiple things. One of those things could be the, the sin that he's been dealing with that maybe he hasn't a, a addressed directly in this, but has kind of hinted at. He's in, in deep grief and anguish about something that he's done, and, and maybe you all will comment on that in a second. But also at the same time, it's because of his, his foes in verse 7. It's because of those people against them in verses 8 through 10, which we haven't really gotten to yet. He talks about the workers of evil. He talks about the enemies in his life and and he's in a lot of pain because it seems like everybody in his life is is against him he has all these people that are actively hoping for his failure and actively wanting him not to succeed you think about even when he was first anointed king or told he was going to be king he was on the run from the very nation he was going to be king of Saul was actively trying to kill him and, and that's kind of the, the pain and the hurt that he's going, to, going through. 
as I'm kind of a, a people pleaser internally, and I can very much relate to this. You know, I, I can't stand it when I'm, I make one person upset and one person doesn't like me or is rooting for me to fail. Um, I remember when I was really young, my one claim to fame was that I could add and subtract quickly. And so I remember in first grade, we would have competitions in our class. We would have two people against each other. The teacher would hold up a flashcard and whoever said the answer first, quickest, and got it right would get to move on to the next person. And you go around the classroom, and it got to the point where I was going one person after another, and the entire class was rooting against me to lose. And I, I finally missed the question, and everybody was like cheering. And I, I was so upset. I got home and was like nearly in tears to my mom telling her about my class that was cheering against me. I didn't understand why. And for David, this is, you know, think of me as, as a little first grader. This is him as an adult facing much larger problems on a more large-scale situation nearly every single day of his life. You know, being the king of the most important nation of all the world because it's God's nation. And he's having to constantly face not only threats and physical attacks from people, but also just the knowledge that people and workers of evil are constantly wanting him to fail. You know, first of all, that was probably the last time anybody was ever mad at you because you're such a great guy. First grade, I wish I had that problem. Um, <laughs> uh, but when I, when I look at this text, um, to me, what David is so grieved by, that what he's mourning over it, is his sin. And that's what I wanted to focus on. And definitely he had enemies all about him. But just to where we can cover both, I just want to talk about his sin for a moment. Have you ever felt this bad about your sin? What a question, right? Look at what David says about what his sin has made him feel. Have you ever felt so bad about your sin that your bones ached? Have you ever felt so bad about your sin that you made your bed swim, you drenched your couch in tears, your eyes wasted away, they were not able to cry anymore? because of the sin that you had in your life. Perhaps you have. Some of us perhaps don't feel bad enough for what we have done. And so we can't really relate to what David is saying. But I think this is the glimpse into why this makes David the man after God's own heart. Because David is so grieved by his sin he cannot bear it anymore. This separation that he has experienced from God, which is what sin does to us, Isaiah tells us. Your sins have separated from you, you from your God. That's what sin does. It separates us from God. This separation that David felt from God was unbearable. It made every single part of him ache. You know, you ever hear somebody, yes, you know, somebody comes up, they look like they've been hit by you know, whatever. In the middle of the night, they come up to you the next morning, all of a sudden, they look like they didn't sleep a wink. What do they say? Well, where I'm from, they said, I flipped like a fish all night. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep. I just, I just flopped like a fish all night. Well, that, maybe that's just my mom. I don't know. That's what she said. I flopped like a fish all night, right? It's a very southern way of saying I didn't get to sleep at all. That's what David's talking about here. He, 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 it says he made his bed swim. He, he, he could not sleep. He was stirring and to the point he couldn't sleep over his sin. That's what sin should do to us. Our separation, what we have done to, first of all, put Jesus on the cross, should keep us up. That is, unless we have repented, right, Mingu? Just like you were saying. David, that's what he's doing in this passage. He is actively repenting, begging God to forgive him of his sins. And so, when I see that these words here of him groaning, his bones aching, his eyes wasting away, his couch uh, drenched in tears, him swimming in his bed, I see him agonizing over his sin. And what he is doing is, he's wanting to leave it behind him. He doesn't want to live this way anymore. 
He doesn't want to lose sleep. He doesn't want to ache. He doesn't want us cry. He doesn't want to feel those things anymore. And so he's taking them to the throne of God. And he's going to leave them there. That's what I see in this text. I mean, what about you? Um, yeah, I agree with that. You know, the basic or the root of this anguish is sin, obviously. If, did, if he had not sinned, that he would not have that kind of anguish. That's true. But, you know, a little bit um, ironically, uh, the fear of God made him come to God and pleading to God. But also fear, the fear of God is making him so sad and so crushed here because he knew he did something wrong. He knew he sinned, and he knew, he knew that God is the God of justice, God of judgment, God of punishment, you know, to those who sinned and, but don't repent. So he is repenting, but before God forgives him, he is, you know, has, I mean, he has the fear of God's judgment. God's punishment. I think we need this kind of uh, attitude. Sometimes we, I mean, at least I think that, you know, oh, I'm a Christian, so whatever I may do in a wrong way, God will forgive me. So sometimes I feel that I lost fear of God. And the, so I lost fear of God. I always think God is merciful, so I wouldn't try my best to do God's will. I mean, try my best to do all things in God's way. So sometimes we have to have fear of God's wrath, and that will help us to do better in our lives. So I think uh, David is so, uh, you know, sad and uh, so anguished because only, I mean, also because of the fear of God. But he also knew that God is merciful, and he also knew God has steadfast love. So he is pleading uh, to God on the basis of the steadfast love. So we have to have the same kind of attitude, I think. We have to also fear, we have to have fear of God for what we have done wrong. But also we have to, we have to, uh, we have to plead God on the basis of his steadfast love. But we don't, we should not, mini, uh, uh, we should not uh, take advantage, I mean, take for granted of the mercy instead of, you know, appearing uh, up. You know, verse 4, he says, O Lord, deliver me. And perhaps he's talking about his enemies. Perhaps, perhaps he's talking about himself. Deliver me from myself. Uh, if he's talking about this sin, uh, sometimes we need deliverance from our own desires, from our own passions, from our own failures and shortcomings. But the text continues in verse 8, Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. So my question with this is, in the middle of all of this anguish, in all of this pain, in, in, in all of these feelings that he's having over his sin, over his enemies, what brings David peace? Uh, I think what brings David peace is the confidence that he has in God and the confidence that he has in God's answer. He talks about this in, in verses 8 and in verses 9, how God has already heard the sound and he's accepted my prayer. And we think about verses like James chapter 1 that talks about asking for wisdom but asking without doubting, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and, and tossed by the wind. 
And then it says that this man must not suppose that he will receive anything, not just wisdom, but anything, because he's double-minded. He's, he's unstable in all his ways. And so we're not supposed to doubt God. We, we have to be confident in his abilities, and that's what, give Dave, that's what gives David here peace, because he knows that God has already heard his prayer. And 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 talk about that confidence, that this is a confidence we have toward him, that we can have whatever we ask according to his will. And if we know we're asking according to his will, we know that we have those requests that we've asked of him. And so because of that, we can have that confidence, and David seems to have this confidence in God. But also what gives him peace is that even if God's answer is no to these things, he knows that God is still faithful, and God is still just, and God is still merciful. Just like in the example with the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they come to the king and they say that I know God will save me from this fiery furnace, but even if he doesn't, I still will not bow down to that statue. And that's the same thing that David's saying. He has peace because he has confidence in God and says, I know that God has already heard me. I know that God has already accepted my prayer, but even if the answer is no, I'm, I'm still not going to give in to those workers of evil because I know that God is still perfectly just and perfectly merciful in everything that he does. Um, uh, you know, when I had some situations, when I was in a very difficult situation, and um, I prayed to God, but peace didn't come easily. You know, uh, as I was uh, looking for, uh, I mean, searching for a uh, working visa here in the United States and green card here, that process was so, you know, long and, and it was uncertain if I couldn't get it or not. I didn't know. There was no one who could, who could help me to get it. Even though uh, Chestnut Drive Church of Christ supported me sponsored me with the visa uh, with my visa with my green card you know they did their best but the result was up to god so i didn't know and i prayed every day for that because on those you know documents my family's life was uh, life was uh, life was uh, dependent um, but this is when i got peace in that situation. I left the thing to God. Mm. It's up to you, God. My life is yours. My family's life is yours. Whatever you may do, I will obey it. At the moment, I received the peace, which I really, really wanted. I prayed for for many uh, years, but I received the peace when I, you know, spiritually speaking, lay me down before him, knelt down before him. So I think David is experiencing the same thing. I agree that he had the knowledge of God. God is merciful God. And he is, uh, and also he had the knowledge that God is faithful God. But one thing David is really doing here, I, I think, is that he is giving his life in God's hand. It's up to you, God. I did something wrong, but I am pleading to you. And that uh, surrendering, I mean, that, you know, subjecting himself to, to God probably gave him peace. You know, I see him getting such peace from the confidence, from the repentance that he has, but from this communication he has with God. Just listen, I mean, he says, the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. It's that confidence that he has that in this prayer, in this repentance, when he has bowed down before God and beg for mercy, there is no doubt in his mind that that's exactly what he's going to receive. Because that's who God is. God is a God who forgives, 
who extends His mercy to every single one of us who are able to bow our knees in reverence to Him. And so that's what David gets in this text, and I think all of us should understand that whatever brokenness that we have in our life, God will fix that too. But as we close tonight, very quickly, what's, what's one good takeaway, or the biggest takeaway for you as you look at Psalm 6? Um, I imagine what situation it was for David. Why he sinned? We know that David was a righteous person. He did, I mean, uh, God said he is a person of my, a man of my heart. God said, the scripture said it. But he, it seemed that he sinned. For, I mean, he committed some sins. Why he would have sinned, I, I, I imagine. And he also mentioned the foes. I mean, the foes were around him. So I imagine that probably David's sin was because of the persecution he was going through. As we, were, as we are going through some sufferings for righteousness' sake, sometimes we lose our patience. Sometimes we our perseverance. We lose our uh, you know, self-control. And sometimes... At least I, you know, have to, you know, cover my mouth, not to let it out. But it is my heart that is sin, you know. As I do some, you know, ethnic ministry, it's not easy. Uh, two breathing, two cultures, two breathing, two uh, peoples speaking different languages. It's not easy. Sometimes it is overwhelming me. So sometimes it is very hard for me to get over the, you know, stresses and, uh, you know, pressures. And, you know, frankly speaking, I sin in my heart. And as I look around me, there are enemies about me who, who force me to sin, who pulls me from God who pulls me from the church, who pulls me from, from the Lord. And I have to go back to the scripture, and I have to go back to the word of God. And I have to, sometimes I have to uh, come to, you know, David, who confesses his sin while he was pursuing the righteousness of God. So probably, uh, you know, we all have to be able to look at us as we live righteously in this world, you know, we have to acknowledge that we are not perfect. We can sin. But as we sin, even as we try to do God's righteousness, God's will, we have mercy for God. God is still merciful for us. So we have to pray for him for forgiveness. Uh, what I got out of this passage is that God, uh, thinking about this, is the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he's the same tomorrow. This God that we read about in these verses, this God that's perfectly uh, just, that has this wrath and also has this mercy, this is the same God that we serve today. And it's up to him to decide when he shows that wrath and when he shows that mercy. So because of that, we need to humble ourselves before him and completely respect his power and his authority. But at the same time, while we're humble, we should also know him and we should have confidence in him. Uh, one thing that I really want to do moving forward from today after reading Psalm 6 is I just wish that I had more honest conversations with God like David did. I wish that we as Christians talked to God like David talked to God and like some of the other people in the Old Testament, New Testament talked to God. I, I wish that we would speak openly with him. I wish that we would have this relationship with him on a deeper level. And I wish that I would have a greater confidence in his abilities rather than my own abilities. And so I'm going to take away from Psalms chapter 6 based on David's confidence that he had in God. I'm going to try to do that myself and, and really show that full confidence and trust in his abilities. Beautiful. When I, when I look at this text, the takeaway I have is don't live your life on either end of the spectrum. Don't live your life 
so focused on the wrath of God that you simply can't move forward with your life. You can't move forward from your sin. You can't move forward from all the things that you've done that are in the past and are behind you and you've tried to repent of and you can't let go of because they constantly plague your mind, the thoughts, the memories, all the things that you've done. Don't live your life so on this spectrum that you become ineffective. But also, don't live your life on this side of the spectrum where you lean on God's mercy to the point that you forget His wrath. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. May it never be, Paul said. So my, my understanding of this psalm is I've got to live a balanced life. I can't be so focused on mercy that I do whatever I want to do. But I can't be so focused on wrath that I can't do what He wants me to do. Isaac... We appreciate you being with us. I'm going to ask you to lead us in a closing prayer. Let's go to God. Lord, I thank you for the time that you have given us tonight to uh, sit down and study your word together. Lord, I, I thank you for those uh, throughout the history of our, our world who have chosen to write about you and write about all the things that you've done for them. Specifically today, we thank you for David and, and his heart that continued to long after you. Lord, we thank you so much for him and his example. And we thank you for some of the words that he uh, brought before us tonight. God, I pray that as we leave here tonight, we continue to remember who you are. We remember your nature and how you are completely perfect and that without you, we are incomplete. I pray that we can always rely on you that we can always have confidence in you and confidence in, in your healing abilities. And I pray that if there's anything in our lives that we fall short on or that we are needing to repent of, I pray that we'll do that as we leave here tonight. God, please continue to watch over us, keep us safe, and, and keep us healthy as we go about the rest of our nights and the rest of our weeks. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.